0: able to come as we open uh, God's Word. Um, If uh, the children would like, uh, we do have Children's Church available for all the children here. Uh, They will be going uh, downstairs. Sister Reyes will be uh, taking you guys downstairs, so go with a lighter raise and she'll take you down to have some church. Um, Yeah, so if you want to go, feel free to do so. They are going to have a good time in the Lord. Um, we We are living in uncertain times uh, this county uh, we've we've gone from opening up to now being in the most restrictive tier. There's a lot of uncertainty that we face um, just every day, uh, every week, especially within this year. I work within the school system, so Uh, there's been a lot of inconsistency there. Uh, Fortunately, I work in a private school, so we have opened up, but uh, it's just very inconsistent. We don't know if we're shutting down. We don't know if we're opening up. And um, it's just very hard to manage during these times um, to keep moving forward when there's a lot of variables, a lot of things that we're not sure of. um, And you know, about encounter church and in, in particularly, you know, when we think about it, we were opening up in August, having our, uh, our previous services in March, when all of this was starting and and it's there's a lot of uncertainties. Um, but we know that this week, this Sunday as I this week, as I mentioned before, we have landed in a more restrictive tier, uh, the San Joaquin County, and as a church, um, we're still going to worship God. We're still going to gather at w- as we can uh, online um, and those who are here helping out. Um, but we are going to do our best to help the community. Um, we want, we care about the schools. We care about the small businesses. And if we could do a small part here at Encounter Church to help the community open up, we will do what we can. Uh, try to. Implement all the safety uh, procedures that we can because we do care about this community and we do want this community to succeed. Also, we are going into Thanksgiving and uh, we're so, I hope you're excited. I know, again, we are in an interesting <laughs> year. Uh, we did have Thanksgiving at which was pretty fun and we had a lot of food. Um, but this year, uh, this week, maybe you're going to be with family. I don't know how you're doing it, but I hope that you guys have a good time, have good food. Um, and just remember to be thankful, first of all, to God and just thankful for what he's doing. And also remember that during the holidays, there are a lot of people who just go through a lot of things, uh, through a lot of pain, through a lot of loneliness. Um, and I, I think that's going to be at a high point this year, especially with COVID. So, be aware of people, what they're going through, and reach out. Maybe send a text to somebody that you haven't sent a text to. Call them and see how they're doing. And even though they may appear to be doing fine, uh, a lot of the times, those who appear to be doing fine are the ones who need somebody to reach out. Today, we are going to go into the Word of God, and we're going to learn about King Jesus and entering the kingdom uh, it's pretty exciting uh, to see what, what Christians have written, uh, particularly what's within our scriptures. We're going to see what uh, one author, one Christian author, particularly what he said. His name is the Apostle Paul. And he wrote 13 letters and they make up a significant portion of our New Testament um, they 're also known as the pauline epistles that 's why they 're called the Pauline Epistles because it comes from the Apostle Paul within his letters. Paul writes that if you could look at the chart on the screen, writes that Jesus is King, that the Christ is king. This is central to everything that G- that Paul writes. His main framework of mind where he writes, his main point of influence is that Jesus Christ is king. And this influences everything else. He wrote about entering the kingdom. And that involved and revolved around the idea that Jesus is king. He also talked about sharing the rule of Christ and the return of the king. We won't look at all of them today, but we will be looking at these two points: Christ as King and entering the kingdom. Um, because if we would spend a long time if we look at every single point. Um, next time we'll look at other letters, but today I really want to focus on what Paul said concerning Jesus the Christ. And if you didn't know, the Christ is Christ is not the last name of Jesus; it's a title that he used, and he it, well. Mostly Christians used. He did refer to himself and acknowledge that. But it meant Messiah, that he is the anointed one. And we're going to look at him and focus on him. And we're going to learn about entering the kingdom. Entering into his rule. In Paul's letters, there are two hymns that are pretty popular. That that are pretty famous because of how they speak on the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, if you have your Bible, feel free to open it. I really encourage you to open it and bring a Bible. Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. It's kind of towards the end of your Bible. Um, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And later we'll look at the second hymn, which is in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. But for right now, let's check out Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And again, this was a poem, a hymn that the early church would sing. Uh, it might be hard to see the screen, so if you have it on your phone, that's great. Um, I'll be reading it, and it says this: "The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities." And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If we focus on the first verse of this passage of scripture, we could see that Paul begins this hymn with two images. The first image is that the Son of God Jesus is the image of God. Where does this idea of the image of God come from? Think biblically. Think think back to when we first started the series. Who was created in the image of God? Well, that was Adam and Eve, the first humans, and all of us as a result. So here, Paul's reference to the image of God is reminiscent of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve as God's image bearers were supposed to do what? They were supposed to represent God here on earth by spreading God's domain. But as we all know, Adam and Eve failed to represent God. Here, however, there's a sense that Jesus, the image of God, he is God's representative here on earth. He did what no other human perfectly did. He partnered with God instead of rebelling against him. In addition, there's a sense here that whenever we see Jesus We have seen God since Jesus Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see the image of the invisible God. So the first image that we see in the beginning of this hymn is that the sun is the image of the invisible God. And then the second image, the second imagery that Paul uses is The firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn here does not mean that Jesus was created. No. We know from the scriptures that Jesus was never created. He is the first and the last. He has always been and he has always existed. But what is conveyed with the idea of Jesus being the firstborn is that Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. Now, this is a fancy word, but what we mean by preeminence is that Paul was talking about how, like most firstborns, especially during Jesus' time, Jesus, as the firstborn, had it all. All belonged to him. Everything that the Father had, he had it. As the firstborn, as the preeminent one, Jesus owns all of creation. And he rules over all of creation. Look at the 16th verse. It tells us how Jesus was the firstborn, not a created being. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things, he holds all things together. The son is the creator. Jesus is not a created creature. But he is the creator who created the creatures. The son is the creator and he has created everything through himself and for himself. All things, the things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, have been created through him and for him. Jesus, like a king, created, and the things he created are for himself. Go back to the verse. In addition to creating everything, he is before all things, and in him he holds everything together. Paul says that Jesus is before all things. Jesus is not a created thing. He existed before anything ever existed and like a good king jesus maintains keeps everything together he keeps everything in order and he creates everything he is like the old kings but paul is showing that king jesus is greater than any king that has ever existed and he is greater than any king that would ever come after Jesus' earthly ministry. Go to verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. As the Son, who is the head ruler of all creation, Jesus is also the head of the church. Jesus is is over the church. Not an organization or an idea, but a person. A person is over the church. The king of kings, our Lord, Jesus Christ, is over Encounter Church and the church overall. This passage that we just read in Colossians is a powerful hymn. It's Paul praising Jesus as the king of the earth. Not only the king of the earth, but also the king of the universe and the king of his church. Jesus owns and rules all of creation. And this is what Patrick Schreiner said as we conclude looking at Colossians and then we'll look at Philippians. Christ's kingship is cosmic in scope. The king's goal is to establish harmony and security for the world through his people so that they can live the good life under his rule. Amen. So we've seen within Colossians that the rule of Jesus, heaven, earth, invisible, visible, it's cosmic in scope. And he is head over the church. Now let's go to, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Philippians, Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two. It's, uh, as you can see here, it is towards the end, it's like maybe last 10% of your, of your Bible. And I'll be reading from verse six all the way to 11, Philippians two, verse six to 11. And this is also a hymn, um, and it's about Jesus Christ. Of God the Father. In this hymn, Paul sang that Jesus Christ was crowned as king. In the previous hymn, in Colossians, we read the extent of Jesus' kingship. That it's cosmic in scope. But in Philippians, we read about how the means... How Jesus became king. Colossians describes the extent of Christ's domain. Philippians records the means or how. uh, The means of Christ's power, how Jesus obtained the power that he obtained. Paul begins to tell us about how Christ became king by telling us about Christ's identity before his incarnation. Look at verse 6 again. Who, talking about Jesus, being in very nature God. Jesus was, before the incarnation, the same nature as God. God. And though Christ was in the same nature as God and had equality with God, Jesus redefined royal authority. Instead of using his equality with God, he did not take advantage of his godly status. Instead, he became man and he humbled himself. Verse 8 says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus shows his humility by taking the form of a man. He shows his humility not by taking advantage of his godly status, but by taking the form of a man and by dying on the cross. Because of Jesus' humility, God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, because of Jesus' humility and because of God's exaltation, every knee shall bow. Even those who thought that ultimate power would come through force or oppression. No, everyone will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And they will glorify God the Father because of what Jesus has done. As we have seen, Jesus is a big deal for Paul. Paul's Christology, his his view of Jesus is important to everything he writes, going back to the chart we 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 focus okay, Christ is king. we see that it's central to what Paul's talking about. now let's see how it influences entering the kingdom. I'm sure all of us uh, would want to be part of this kingdom part be part of having a relationship with God. let's go to ephesians five five ephesians five five It'll be on the screen. Um, if you want to follow along. For of this you can be sure. nor No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul understood that not everybody would inherit the kingdom of God. There are people like those who are immoral, who are impure, who are greedy, who worship something other than God. All these people, the immoral, the impure, the greedy, they worship, they either worship sin, pleasure, money, or themselves. These type of people will not inherit the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. You should not get the idea, however, that if you acted immorally or impurely once, you could never inherit the kingdom. That if you messed up once, you would never enter the kingdom. The idea here is that you need to forsake, you need to leave immorality, impurity, and greed you need to repent of these things because these things immorality impurity and greed can blind us from recognizing king jesus and thus from inheriting the kingdom if you're sinning and you're focusing on being in pure greed you're worshiping money you're worshiping sin you're worshiping yourself if you're doing that, you don't have room to worship Jesus, to acknowledge Jesus. And to be part of the kingdom of Jesus, you need to be able to recognize Jesus. Therefore, we need to forsake these sinful habits. You may think now, okay, this makes sense. If I am going to enter the kingdom, I need to focus on the king. And I can't focus on the king if I am worshiping sin, pleasure, money, or self. So yes, I get it. I need to forsake these things. But you might think, when I have sinned, when I have rebelled against God because I sinned against another creature or I sinned against Myself, and therefore sin against God, what God has intended, and rebel against him, not doing what he has destined us to do. So when I have sinned, when I have rebelled against God, don't I deserve some sort of punishment for my wrongdoing? Doesn't my wrongdoing disqualify me from entering God's kingdom and into a relationship with King Jesus? Well, let's look at what Paul had to say on this dilemma. Romans 3, if you have your Bibles, open it up. We'll spend some time in Romans 3. Uh, this will be the last scriptures that we will be looking at today, Romans 3. Uh, Romans 3 is about entering into a relationship with God. And we'll start with verse 21. It will be on the screen. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law And the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You said that you are sinful, a wrongdoer, one who deserves judgment or punishment because you have rebelled against God but look in Jesus when you believe in your king God gives you his righteousness those who believe in king Jesus will enter the kingdom because of God's righteousness and this righteousness is not just for the Jew, those who came from Abraham. No, it's for all people. Jew and Gentile, American and Mexican, young and old, upper class and lower class. There is no difference. This righteousness is available for all. And everyone is related is connected, yes, because we're humans made in the image of God. But here's another way that we're all collected and the, we're all related and connected. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has rebelled against God. No one deserves to enter the kingdom. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have all failed. Adam and Eve failed God. And ever since then, we have all been failing to do what God wants us to do, to succeed, to excel. And we have all sinned and failed. The verse continues by saying, and all are justified, freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Yes, we have all failed. We're all connected. And no one is perfect. You look at somebody else. And although they may appear that they have it together. They have fallen short. And they are in need of grace. But yet we're also connected. Because we all have this possibility. We could all be justified. There is this. Doctrine, this teaching within Christian circles called justification. It comes from this verse that we just read. It's a beautiful teaching. This is how the teaching begins. It tells us what justified means, what this word that's being used really means. Um, if you go to the next slide, you can see a definition. I believe it's also within your notes. Justification is an act whereby our legal standing in heaven is changed and man is given a new standing before God. It is being placed by God in a right relationship with himself. Here, here's one way of seeing it. You're in a courtroom and maybe this picture could help your imagination and you're, you're on trial because you have sinned against God. He put you in this beautiful world to make it beautiful, and you, maybe you have been destructive. And as we all know, we all have fallen short. You have rebelled against Him, and you are guilty and deserve judgment. But God has made a way for you to stand legally and innocently before Him in the right relationship with Him. In the beginning, we were supposed to be like this with God, but we have all fallen into very dark places. Yet God has made a way through redemption, made a way for redemption, for reconciliation, through justification. And he does it freely. Look, go back to the verse, verse 24. All are justified. He doesn't say that it costs so-and-so so much money to be justified, that you have to do these certain deeds to be justified. No, he says that it is freely. By the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are viewed legally innocent. We are accepted as citizens of the kingdom, not because We paid the price. No. We are justified because God freely justified us. Justification is free. There is nothing we can do to obtain it. It is a free, it is a free gift. It is free. A gift from God. God Not because we are good. He did it out of his own grace. This is what grace is when we connect it to God. Grace. God acted in a way that is contrary to what humans deserved. We deserve to suffer the punishment for our rebellion. We deserve punishment. But God has acted in a way that is contrary to what we deserve. He acted not because his actions depended on us. No. Grace, salvation, justification, all of these things are only possible because it all depends on God. God's grace is dependent on him alone. Nothing caused God to do what he did. Nothing caused him to save us. Nothing did. It was all in and of himself. That is what grace is. God graciously gave Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom, to justify us, to make us innocent enough to enter the kingdom. Jesus lived a perfect life. He did not rebel against God. He did not serve idols or sins. Jesus was perfect in every way. He did not in any way deserve a snippet of punishment. We deserved every inch of punishment since we were guilty. But Jesus did not sin. He did not rebel. He was the perfect image. He partnered with God and represented him here on earth. Yet... Jesus died as if he had sinned. Look at Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Jesus did not sin, but he took the place of sinners. He became our scapegoat, our sacrifice. He took all of our sins, all of our punishment. He took it all, and he took it to the cross. He took our sins to the grave. And if you believe that Jesus, the King, died on your behalf, you will be covered. You will be justified. His sacrifice is enough. Through faith in Jesus, a joyous exchange occurs. As you can see here in this chart, there's us, there's Jesus. And our sins, the sins of humankind, when we believe there's this transfer that takes place, our sins transfer to Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness, while he doesn't lose his righteousness, transfers to us, to humans. What belonged to humans is now Jesus. He took the punishment Of our sins, and what pertained to Jesus may now pertain to us, to humans. This was God's plan since the beginning. God desired humans to stand, to rule with Him, righteously with Him, to rule over this earth, but humans messed up. Yet God made a way, He he became flesh. He made a way through the Messiah, and now we could be justified. We could be restored. This was God's plan since the beginning. I want to finish with this last verse, verse 26. Why did Jesus do it? He did it to, or he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. If you believe, you will be justified. Your actions may not change immediately, but your status, your relationship with God changes right away when you put your sight, your hope in Jesus. Put your sight and hope on this. The king was perfect. He became sin because he took upon himself the sin of humanity. He did not lose his righteousness when he took on our sins. But instead he shares his righteousness. Everyone has sinned. But we all have the possibility to clothe ourselves with Christ's righteousness. With the righteousness of the king. Jesus' offering, his sacrifice, is enough. And now through faith, since he has declared us righteous, God will see you as innocent. Not because of something you've done, but it's all because of what God has done. All of this is possible because of God's grace. Patrick Schreiner said, Through the substitution of the king, God has made a way for all of those who believe in the king to be made right with God. To be reconciled with God. You must have faith in the king. Allegiance and faith is the way to enter the the kingdom. So what do we need to enter the kingdom? Faith. Trusting allegiance in Jesus. I love the song that we sing. Uh, It goes like this. There's a verse here. Maybe you captured it. But I think it's true to um, to these verses that we read. It says, No matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter how I fall, You pick me up again. You have removed my shame. You take me as I am. You call me justified. Now I am covered by your grace. The king of the kingdom, the one who rules everything, and the one who became king through humility has died for you to enter the kingdom. He has taken your sins. And I pray that today, you you don't need somebody to pray for you. Although, if you want somebody, just ask anybody and we'll pray for you. But what you need, if you desire to enter God's kingdom, you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the King who has died for your sins. He has taken your sins. And I pray that today you may believe in this truth. That the king of heaven has come to earth. Has died in your place. So that you may be able to have a relationship with God and enter his kingdom. Once you were impure. But God's sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus. Has made you new. Forsake your old ways of living. And follow our loving king let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your goodness. I pray that everybody here may hopefully, right now, if they have never made that decision, they may make it now. That they may put their trust on Jesus. That they may see That Jesus is the King, the Lord, the the name that is above every other name. He is supreme. And that if we believe in him alone, it is sufficient, it is enough to enter the kingdom. Thank you for making us clean. And I pray that as we sing, we may remember that you, Lord, you, not ourselves, you, have acted effectively to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, to justify us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.